We are in the Advent season, and uh, this is a little bit maybe uh, you know, old hat to some of you. You've been part of our church or another church that has, that has not just jumped right into Christmas, but has uh, prepared ourselves, in a sense, by walking through the season of Advent as we think about the coming of Christ and, and preparing our hearts for, for His coming in a, in a very real way. And perhaps others of you, this is brand new. It's kind of an interesting new concept for you to kind of think about, well, you know, why aren't we singing Christmas carols? It's December, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, some of you are still in protest over that. Uh, however, we're, we're joining with the people of, of God throughout, throughout, throughout history, really, in, in, in creating a longing and, a, and an anticipation for the coming of Christ. They were longing for His first coming, the people of Israel. We long and anticipate for His second coming. But in the midst, we celebrate His coming to us even right here and right now. So we're calling this little series of messages Practicing Presence, where we're thinking about the ways in which the presence of Jesus has and will impact the world and impact our lives and how we are to live in light of His presence. And we're, we're recognizing that, again, through His Holy Spirit and through the Word and through the church, He comes to us even now. And we're rehearsing, in a sense, and practicing and, and experiencing what it means to live in the presence of Jesus. A great thing in, this, in the season of Advent. If nothing else, we were to just slow down and think about the, the, and marvel at the wonder of the Incarnation, that God became one of us, that He entered into human existence, interrupted and intervening in human history. And, uh, and to celebrate all that that means and all that that has brought about, the newness that is possible because of Jesus. Uh, so one of the things I'm learning in life and um, think that, that I begin to think about this week as I looked at this portion of Scripture that we're going to look at today is, you know, in many uh, facets of my life, whether as a pastor, whether as a husband or a father or a friend, I'm, I'm learning that there's always a different story to be told. You know what I mean? Uh, there's the, the story, perhaps, that's going on the, that's before us, and maybe certain people have an idea of, but there's, there's eh, not always, most of the time, there's a different possibility. There's a, there's a different story that could be told in that same circumstance. There's always different ways of seeing and experiencing the world. Story of Christmas could be just a Perfect example, I mean, there's, there's one story being told in the shopping centers and marketplaces of the world about Christmas right now. It's about buying and consuming and spending and uh, debt, and, but we're getting the economy going, so there's that for, going uh, for us. But this, this, this story of, of gifts and lights and parades, not necessarily all bad things by any means. But, but this different story that's being told in the world about Christmas. Then within the church, there's a different story, right? There's a different story being told about the same event, but the story of, of the incarnation, the story of the presence of God, the story of a little baby that came into our world and would become our Lord and our Savior. And this story that we tell among the body of Christ the stories, again, aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but they are different stories, right? Different stories at their core. It's amazing how 
Two people can be this, part of the same situation and yet experience different realities in that situation. You know? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Well, I, I was thinking this, this is often the case between spouses. I, I know Kyla and I, uh, I didn't clear this with her, but uh, no doubt we, we at times in our lives, I will not share any particular specific situation, but there are no doubt there are times in our lives in the last even 24 hours where uh, one situation, but we had essentially different ways of interpreting it, different ways of reading it, different stories that we were understanding as we looked at those situations. Sometimes this happens in the church. People have different ways of interpreting things that are going on. And uh, we, we have, you know, we write out different scripts in our heads or different screenplays of how we see things shaking out. No doubt this happens with kids all the time. I have a, I have a privilege, did this with my own children's class recently, but this year I've kind of gone into, uh, in fact, Krista Beard, who was here a few weeks ago, I go into her class on Monday mornings and I just, you know, I have a little flexibility there, so I spend 15 minutes and I get to read with a little girl in her class. And, uh, you know, a story, uh, nicely, nicely connected there. But I get to read with her and, and no doubt this little child, if you thought about maybe her background or surroundings or some of the circumstances of her life, some people look at her and say, well, I kind of know what's going to happen with that girl. There's, I know the story, how that's going to play out. And yet, when we look at kids, right, we see, oh, no, 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 no. There's a different story possible for that child. There's a different story that can emerge out of what we see to be the reality right now. This morning, I want us to think about different stories. Or just think about it, a different story that, that God is bringing about in the world and throughout eternity. And I ultimately want us to think about the different story, perhaps, that God is wanting to write into and have emerge in your own life and in my own life. We're looking at some passages out of the book of Isaiah this Advent that are doing essentially that, telling a different story into some very less than ideal situations. In fact, in the history of the book of Isaiah and the context in which he was writing, in times filled with, at least in the early chapters, with desperation and, and despair. Seems like that the story is always going to be one, for Israel at least, of, of death and certain destruction. And yet Isaiah is this prophet who has the... The, the courage, the faith, the audacity to envision into that despair a, a message of hope. To imagine into this devastation a, a promise of, of possibility. To, to prophesy into this world of, of, of darkness a message of, of light. And last week we heard him in, in chapter 2, we heard Isaiah talk about how... how one day, all the nations, those very nations that had destroyed the people of God, all the nations will stream to the presence of God. And they will submit themselves willingly to the, to the instruction, to the teaching of the Lord. What a beautiful vision, a wonderful hope, a beautiful promise. And today, again, in the passage we're going to look at, Isaiah 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me there. Isaiah 11 
from the middle of a very dark, again, a very discouraging circumstance that we'll talk about in just a moment, we hear him speak of, of a new character emerging into the story and of a plot twist like you've never seen before that will uh, direct this story and the story of God's people in, again, a new and different direction. So, would you stand with me? Isaiah chapter 11, and read verses 1 through 10. And uh, I don't know how, I just, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that we need to approach Scripture with different kinds of mindsets sometimes based on the kind of Scripture that we're reading. With Paul, sometimes we put on our thinking caps, you know, we put on our, all right, our mathematician's hats, all right, how's that going to work, and this fits there, and that fits there, and this argument, and with the prophets, I think we kind of need to put on our imaginative hats. And as we read the Scripture, as you listen to it this morning, may you, you let the Holy Spirit even stir within you at the deepest levels of not only your thinking, but of your feeling, the, uh, the imaginative vision that he's portraying for us this morning. Let me read. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. And at the end, I'll just simply say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. And the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. The young child put his hand into the viper's nest. It will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, and the nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. It's critical that we notice where this familiar and eloquent passage of Scripture begins. It will rise to glorious heights, as we just read. It, it will get to the, just the, the, you know, just the, the beauty, the, 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 the skyscrapers of, of God's intention. But it be, where does it begin? It begins with a stump. Did you notice? 
It begins with a stump. Now, I have a stump in my front yard. We had a tree cut down several years ago. Never quite got around to, like, pulling it out. Or actually, I have a couple more stumps, I think, along the house. Yeah, there's, you'll see it when you come to the open house next week. We've planted some flowers around it, and they're kind of growing back up in our pseudo-spring, winter, whatever it is that we're in. But um, there's a stump there. Now, a stump doesn't connote lots of life, right? Not a lot of life coming from that. Things don't get much more dead than a dead stump. One commentator I read simply called it a, a terminated plant from which nothing can grow. There's the academic definition of a stump. Terminated plant from which nothing can grow. Do you get the picture? The stump of Jesse. This was indeed the status of the people of Israel. The, the Davidic kingly line, the, the, the people of God were in a bad spot. They had been destroyed by the Assyrians. They'd been taken to exile by the Babylonians. They were not doing well. Some folks thought that uh, their story had come to an end. Others thought, well, at least if it hadn't come to an end, it's not looking like it's going to rise up anytime soon. So in the midst of this circumstance, this situation, this story, right? This story that was being told of the people of God in that moment, Isaiah envisions a different story. And it begins with a shoot. It begins with a branch. Something that's alive. Something that's fresh. Something that's new. That will come out of that dead old stump and bring that new story. Uh, it's a branch that will bear fruit. A new king that will be the new main character in this new story. A different future for the people of God than what was being told in that day. Christians believe and have believed for many centuries now that that Isaiah was talking about someone we're all familiar with. He was talking about Jesus. That Jesus Christ was that shoot, the one who came to us and who comes to us and will come again, was that one who would be the new character, the new main figure in this new story that God was telling. And he goes on to speak about him here in these verses in, in beautiful ways especially in verses 1 through 5 as we look at him for a few moments. Before he speaks about what this king would accomplish, Isaiah speaks about who this king would be. And he speaks about the character of this king. And it's important for us for a few moments to, to think about as we're thinking about worshiping fully, right? And as we're thinking about how we're to live in, in the light of the presence of Christ, to think about the character of this king that we worship, this king that we give our allegiance to. It's clear that this, this, uh, this would be a protagonist that any story would like to have at its lead. So we think about this, this, this character. It doesn't speak necessarily, of, uh, again, of what it'll do, but uh, of, of the essential, even primary ingredient to the success of this, this king, and that's very simply that he'll be empowered by the Spirit. If you have your Bible, again, I won't have it up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, again, you can look at verse 2. 
And it's clear that, that, and even as we think about the story of Jesus and as he came up from his baptism and the, the, the dove descended on him and, and it was recognized and, and declared that the Spirit of the Lord was, was upon him. We think about how Jesus began to live out these, these uh, characteristics and attributes. The Spirit of the Lord of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Everything about the leadership of this king, everything about Jesus would testify to the fact that there was the supernatural presence of God at work in his ministry, in his life. This king would be given the, the gift of wise discernment to be able to judge, not, not based on what we see or based on what we hear, but based on what he knew to be true, the knowledge of the Lord. He would be able to guide and to lead with wisdom and with power. And aren't we thankful today for a king that we worship who is just that? A king who knows the depths of our hearts and of our lives. A king who is able with wisdom to, to, to discern what's going on in the world and in our lives and to act accordingly. Empowerment by the Spirit we celebrate. But not only was he empowered by the Spirit, the, Isaiah goes on to talk about this king who would, who would also be committed to justice. And as we think about the character of the king, if we just were able to grab onto these couple of truths, empowered by the Spirit, committed to justice. This king, Isaiah said, would be the one who was given the task of sorting it all out, basically. Sorting out the conflicts and the issues and the problems the, all the different claims, and, and this would be the one who would be responsible for, for, for offering security to those who were insecure. He's the one who would practice righteousness and, and equality. He's the one who would intervene, Isaiah says, on behalf of the poor, on behalf of those who are in need. He's the one who would look out for the vulnerable, as we read elsewhere, for the widows and the orphans those who are most vulnerable in the world, those who are most unable to supply their own leverage in society. This king, as was tradition in the ancient world, this king would take it to new heights to leverage his authority and his power for those in the world who are most in need. I love the way that... He speaks of it in such poetic language, especially in verse 5. It says, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. These won't, righteousness and faithfulness will not just be characteristics or attributes the way that this king operates. It'll be the very clothes that this king wears, built into who he is and the way that he operates in the world. We think again about the ministry of Jesus, think about his his ministry and what he came to do and the ways that we saw him and, and watched and we've read about him, his, his preference really for the poor, his, his, his sensitivity to those who are particularly, particularly in need for, for the lepers and the outcasts and the sick and the blind, always looking for those on the outside. The character of the king, this king who would who would change the trajectory of the story of Israel, 
the story of the people of God. This king who had set things in a whole new direction because he was empowered by the Spirit, because he had this commitment to justice that obviously was not of his own, but of his father sent from above. It was this king who would set the people of, of, of God on a course not for de destruction, but for life and for hope. And he sets the same course for us today. It's this king, really, who gives rise to the second part of Isaiah's vision of, his, of this passage of Scripture. Because the upshot of a, of a new governance, the, the, the reality of, of a new king in charge is that, is that things will be different. There will be change when this king comes in, into power. And Isaiah is not shy about the kind of changes that will take place. As he goes on in the next verses, especially beginning there at verse six. And we could read these words about the wolf and the lion and the lamb and all the different animals and the way that they're in operation together. And we could say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm done. Or, well, maybe someday I'm done. Or we could begin to look at these words and begin to understand them, not necessarily in a literal sense here this morning, but in a figurative sense, and to believe that even now with the coming of this king, that he has initiated and begun a new work in the world in which he is creating a world of possibility. This new king, at work, in his own unique way, telling a different story, creating a world of possibility. One writer said, the coming king will not only do what the world takes to be possible, but will also do what the world has long since declared to be impossible. So we read of the wolf and the leopard and the lion and the cobra, and we read of them living in peace with the lambs and the goats and the children. And these images point us to a couple of truths that we can begin to experience now and we can anticipate them to be more and more fulfilled in the world as we live on and in eternity. We'll believe, first of all, that, that in this world of possibility and in the, the reign of this king, there will be a freedom from fear. We see these animals lying down together with the, the, the oldest of enemies, essentially, coming together in this setting. I haven't seen too many wolves, wolves and lambs hanging out. I haven't seen too many calves and lions spending time together, cows and bears. But in this place, we recognize that, that there's this new sense in which though this one would have its utter destruction in mind, we would want in the past nothing but the, the devastation of this one. Now in this place, there is a, a place of peace, a place of confidence, a place of security. And we are able to proclaim and we are able to believe as followers of this king in our world even today that, that, that with the coming of Jesus, he has initiated and has invited us into a, 
a world of possibility where these things might even begin in some way, shape, or form to show their face even now through the lives of those who are following after this king. And so even now, as we have our faith in this king who is at work, we can enter into this place where, where we, we can have confidence where we can have security, where we can have faith, where, again, in a world, as we heard at our, in our first reading this morning, where there are still many places filled with war and divisiveness, not only far off countries, but sometimes our own homes, that we can know that, that, that this new king is, is, is seeding his new kingdom with his people and is providing for a world of possibility where we can experience less and less and less of the fear that this world is so much about. The second thing that we can notice and draw from this, no doubt, is that that in this kingdom, in this world of possibility, there is a restoration of relationships. Not only do we see from these animals this figurative lesson that, that there's no more fear in that place, but we see the, the most, again, distinct relationships now coming together. We see those who have been the farthest apart now coming together in new and restored relationships. In this world of possibility, then, my friends, we can have this hope as this new king is in charge and bringing his reign and his authority that there is the possibility for for relationships that have been broken, relationships that have been torn down, again, between, between countries and, and, and nations and powers and between husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors, we can believe that there is the possibility, the optimism of renewal and restoration in these relationships. We see a vision. We see a hope. We see a possibility. Again, this transformation that Isaiah writes of here is deeply, uh, is, is, well, it's vastly public. It's about the transformation of society that he's seeing here and writing about. But at the same time, it is intimately personal, for it calls on each of us to live into the reality of that possibility. It's a possibility that is, of course, not possible were it not for a shoot that comes from a stump and indeed becomes. A little quote I read this week, I think the next slide, brings me to uh, some halt in my own life. <laughs> as I think about this vision in particular. Simply says, read it with me, would you? Advent is pondering specific decisions about bringing our daily life into sync with God's rule. Just leave that there for a moment. You see, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, is this beautiful picture of the rule of God place where the Spirit is, is free to move and empower. A place where there is a commitment to 
to justice, where those who are vulnerable are protected and cared for. It's a, it's a place where there's, there's a freedom from fear and where the enemy doesn't have his way with the fear in our lives. It's a place where relationships, the most broken, are renewed and restored. It's a picture of God's rule. So when I read that comment and when I think about our opportunity in Advent, I'm challenged. I hope you are as well. What are the specific decisions then within my life that I need to be making and that you need to be, that we need to be making in order to bring our daily life under the umbrella of this picture? I know you'll say with me, oh, James, that's, that's for, that's for then. And I'll confess with you that ultimately it is for then, when Christ will come again. But it's the invitation, the call on every person, every follower of Christ to begin to make these decisions that will even now bring me under this submission to God's rule and in sync with God's rule in our lives. And I love that and I'm challenged by that at the same time. And I imagine that some of you are like me. What will it mean for me? What will it mean for you to live in a way that is freeing the Spirit to empower me and empower the church? What will it mean for me to live in ways that are promoting justice in the world and, and, and not my own justice? <laughs> what will it mean for me to live in ways that, that are promoting security and confidence among God's people and pushing away with fear? What will it mean for me to live in ways that promotes the restoration of relationships, both my own and among those around me? Well, we are participating for the second year in the Advent Conspiracy. And uh, there you are. We're conspiring together to, uh, to in a sense, um, not get... Some of you weren't here last week, we talked about this, but, or last year, not get sucked into the, the, the cultural story of Christmas necessarily, but to live out the, the biblical story, to be a part of what God is doing uh, in a special way. And, and I'm realizing that this Advent conspiracy is really more and more not just an Advent conspiracy, but it's a, it's a conspiracy that can go on all year long <laughs> as we seek to live in ways that are contrary Countercultural, cultural to the world around us. So last week we talked about how, how, how the, maybe the first invitation in, in the Advent conspiracy is to worship fully. Just to decide right up front that I'm going to make Christmas about God. What a concept. I'm going to make it about God and Him sending His Son Jesus into the world. I'm going to focus on that and I hope maybe there would be some of you who would say, actually Pastor James, this week I... I Came up with some new ways, or I, I was reminded in a, in a daily or maybe even more regular basis to, to worship God, to think about Him, to keep my focus on Him. And, and no doubt, by worshiping fully, that can help us to live and to bring our lives under and into sync with the, with the rule of God. 
Second one, though, I want to talk about just for a moment is, is this idea of spending less. I, uh, I mentioned I was going to be speaking on this to a few of you and warned you, and you still came today, so <laughs> God bless you. But worship fully sounds kind of good, and we can really get on board with that one, right? I mean, we can kind of worship fully. Well, makes sense. I ought to do that during Christmas, no doubt about it. But when we turn the corner and we begin to talk about spending less at Christmas, some of you would have no money. You're like, yeah, preach it, James. I like that. <laughs> Amen. Some of you who are, you know, have already spent a little bit of money, you're kind of like, ooh, uh, uh. where are you going with this anyway? Well, let me tell you where I'm going right up front. I'm not saying don't spend any money at all, but, but could it be that by spending a little bit less, and that is so vague, a little bit less than last year, a little bit less than the average American who spends about $1,000 on Christmas gifts, a little bit less than your neighbor, depends on who your neighbor is. It's very vague and intentionally so because the idea is simply is to get you and me to begin to think about what we are spending. Because it's very possible, and I think I can do this pretty easily without reaching very far at all, to, to, to apply this idea of spending less right into this idea of making specific decisions about how I bring my daily life in sync with the rule of God. Amen? And, uh, and, and so we, we think about these things a little bit. Spending less, you see, is a, a powerful way. Let me, just, let me just give you a few thoughts. Spending less is a powerful way to demonstrate, again, that we are not under the the, the rule of the culture, but we're under the rule of God. doesn't mean that we don't spend anything, but we're very conscious of our spending. We're aware of the impact that our spending has on us and on our world. How, how often it has just gotten so much easier in our world to not even think a thing about what we're spending. We put down that piece of plastic. It's not even like it's real. I mean, it's just like a kind of, huh, yeah, huh, huh, I'm on with it. I feel no pain. My wife does at the end of the month when she pays the bill. <laughs> so I have a Starbucks card, and uh, I, I uh, wanted it. I'm, I'm nearing, I don't know if this is good or not, but I'm, I'm nearing uh, gold star status. Any, any gold, gold card members in the, in the house that would be willing? I'm, I'm nearing gold card status, and uh, I, it's ministry, right? It's where we hang out. We spend a lot of time at Starbucks. Um, nearing gold card status, and so I, I wanted to see how close I was getting, you know? So I went online to check it out and see how many purchases I still have to make to get my gold card. Unfortunately, what I saw is how many purchases I have already made to get me to this place. And while, yes, I only have about three more stars necessary, it was a, a wake-up call. I've drank that much coffee in the last two weeks? Couldn't be. And so, just by illustration and reality, how easy it is to spin without thinking. 
And the invitation is to begin to think a little bit about the impact that our spending is having on me and on the world around me. I, I just believe this. When we spend less, we are controlled less by our money. We're consumed less by the dollar that we have or we don't have, and more consumed by God. There's, there's a great verse in Matthew 6. It says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That was Jesus, by the way. And um, it's kind of one of these, when I, maybe when we spend less, we say, God, our money, God, you are the boss of me, and money, you are not the boss of me. And so maybe I'll just spend a little bit less to show you, money, that you don't have it on me. We create space, perhaps, for the wind of the Spirit to blow more freely when we declare that our boss is God and God alone. Maybe it breaks money's power and creates room for the Spirit's work. In our, in our, with our kids, we, many years ago, we re realized, well, number one, we realized that you people give them all sorts of presents, and you can stop if you want. I mean, so we realized we didn't really need to give them any presents, but we, we, <laughs> we set a limit. We just said, well, there's one of them right there. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about her. But uh, we, we, there's just three presents, essentially, under the tree. And uh, I won't tell you what they are, but they're, they're pretty, pretty basic stuff. And uh, just kind of know that's, that's where we're going, and that's kind of the limit. So maybe when we think about our spending, very practically, making decisions that bring ourselves into sync with God's rule, we just say, well, this is my budget. This is what I'm going to spend. It's going to be maybe a little bit less. Here's another idea for you to think about for a moment. When we spend less, perhaps we, we, we stand in solidarity in a new and a fresh way with those who have very little in our world. How am I supposed to, to be one who brings justice in the world? How am I supposed to live into the rule of God who is committed to justice, this new king who's initiated a new kingdom? Well, maybe one of the ways is that I spend in such a way that, that, that allows me to stand in solidarity with my brothers in Ethiopia and my sisters that I met this summer in Nicaragua who have so very little and are so very content. And, and somehow we think that we have to do this and that and more and more. And, and, how, and, and as we do that, just think how far that pushes us away from our brothers and sisters around the world who have so little. And so maybe spending less when we decide, you know what, instead of the $100 gift, I'm going to get the $75 one. And I'm going to move a little bit closer to my brothers and sisters around the world. A little solidarity, perhaps, with our friends in the Navajo Nation. Um, and this last one may be, well, you can think what you think of it. <laughs> uh, could it be that when we spend less, we help to create a world of possibility where fears can be relieved, where hearts can be renewed, 
and relationships transformed. I tell you that by my experience and the experience of many other marital counselors, one of the greatest traumas and reasons for division in marriage is money. Uh, again, within our own families, we could speak to not only between husbands and wives, but between inheritances or, you know, uh, businesses or whatever it might be, co-owned co properties, and the tension that arises when we start to talk dollars and lack the sense <laughs> to talk about it. In other words, it kind of goes back to what Timothy said, or what Paul said to Timothy, when he said the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we can, you know, we can qualify. Every time I hear this verse, I hear people qualify it, right as they say it. <clears throat> they say, well, it's the love of money. <laughs> right? No. And then they say, it's, it's not evil. It's just a root of evil. It's not even the root, it's a root of all kinds. I mean, there's three qualifiers I've thrown on it right from the start, right? And you can probably throw a few more. Can we just agree that Paul had some inkling, some idea inspired by the Holy Spirit in his life that money could be a problem? And if handled in the wrong way, if not completely submitted to the Lord, it could give rise to tremendous, not just problems, but tremendous evil and I begin to look again at this picture of Isaiah 6 through 9 in particular, and I begin to think, wow, how much of our spending and our consumption and our thinking about money is leading to the fear that we experience in our lives? How much of the spending and the consumption and, and the thinking about money is leading to the brokenness of relationship? And were we to begin to spend a little bit less and become more thoughtful and reflective about the money that we are spending, how much, where would that lead us in terms of uh, alleviating some of those fears? And how might that help us in beginning to live into the possibility of experiencing restored relationships? We're invited to spend less as a part of this Advent let me, uh, let me bring this right here, and then we're going to have communion. Uh, Isaiah has told a different story. He has opened up uh, a reflection on, on, on a king who is, who is like no other protagonist, again, that we've ever seen or known about. He's opened up a, a vision of a world of possibility. He's telling a different story about the world, really, about this king. Some of us here this morning, I just, I just really got this conviction this morning, you guys, I was thinking about this. Some of us need to have the Lord begin to tell us a different story about our own lives. I 
I don't know the story that you're living out right now. Some of you, it might be a great story. It might be one completely submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, and it's just a beautiful story being lived out and expressed every day. But I have the feeling that for the majority of us, our story is a little bit different. Maybe it starts from a place of, of, of pain or discouragement. Maybe it starts with a stump, and it's actually stayed right there. And the story of our lives to this point have been marked by some highs, but by plenty of lows. And maybe that was from the beginning, or maybe this just happened this week or last week, and suddenly your story was thrown into disarray. Well, this same God who is in the process of writing a new story has, has begun it with this character, this King Jesus, and and who is creating a new world, is the same God who is able to write a new story Amen. for your life and for my life. The same King Jesus is able to enter in and to come to us in a new way and to send the trajectory of our story in a whole new way. Can't even begin to guess what that might mean for you. But I can believe or begin to believe that that story will be one that is bringing glory to God and bringing joy in greater amounts to our lives. Let's pray. God, thanks for uh, this vision of Isaiah. We can read and we might not be able to fully understand it, but we can imagine it. We can reflect on it. We can allow it to speak to us. This beautiful picture of the rule of God. This beautiful picture of a day that has begun with the coming of Jesus and, and will, will grow and will one day be fulfilled in completion when He comes again. And we would agree though it may be challenging and difficult for us to hear that, <clears throat> that we want to respond to the invitation to ponder specific decisions that will help us to bring our daily life under that rule. God, maybe you're speaking to some of us today about our spending, whether it be on Christmas gifts or just period. And really, God, I hope that you're speaking to us and I trust you are on a deeper level than just, just our, our spending, but, but really even how we think and reflect and relate to money and the influence and impact it has not only on our lives, but then through us on, on the world. And maybe that's just one specific area where we might bring ourselves more under your rule in these days. Guide us in that, God. Teach us along those ways. Convict us and show us and correct us and encourage us along the way. God, there'd be others, though, who, as we think about those specific decisions, there'd be some who would just need to say today, God, the story of my life is moving in a direction that is not your direction. I'm, I'm living out a story that's filled with 
pain and, and rejection and sorrow and devastation. And while the circumstances may not immediately change, God, would you hear us inviting you and crying out to you to come and just as you will and are doing for the entire world, do for our own lives and write a new and different story. With Jesus in the lead and with a world of possibility before each of us. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and everything that we've said here today points to him. Again, this world of possibility is impossible unless there were a shoot that came from a stump, and we're so thankful for that shoot who, who lived and who died and who was raised again, that we might have life, that we might have hope. And in these moments of communion, as we celebrate the supper that, Jesus, you serve to your disciples and you offer to all of your disciples now as we drink of the juice and eat of the bread and remember your blood shed for us and your body broken for us. May we be able to so zero in on you as our main character that our lives begin to take a new shape and a new form. We come today with hearts full of gratitude. We come today with hearts full of anticipation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.